How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Hello and welcome into another edition of News and Baseball. I'm Derek Johnson along with Dusty Baker on this edition of BNB. We're back after. A week off for the All-Star Game. We uh, enjoyed the festivities here. And uh, our throw it back and chug stat of the week, July 28th, 1973, the California Angels at the time took down the Kansas City Royals 19-8. to That was a fun one. Rudy Mioli went three for six with a home run. He had six runs driven in. This is a big one. Frank Robinson went three of five with two home runs and five driven in. Richie Scheinbloom went five for five with a double, two driven in and three runs scored. You had uh, a couple other players with three or more hits, including Veda Pinson, who goes three for four with four runs and a walk. Bob Oliver, who goes three of six with an RBI and two runs. And how about, this is my favorite stat of all, this relief appearance. So starter Rudy May for the Angels goes two-thirds of an inning. That's it. He gives up three earned runs, gets two outs. They pull him for some guy named Aurelio Monteagu. Gudo, and he goes eight and a third innings in relief. A reliever that went eight and a third, and he just records one strikeout, but he gets the win with four earned runs. It's a very loaded stat. Um, what are you drinking on this episode? I'm going to have to drink a little more just to comprehend all that you just said right there. That was one of the most random ones you pulled out, Derek. Honestly, I'm impressed, though. Probably the most random names out of that group, and then Obviously, you have Frank Robinson in the middle of all that. Uh, the fact that you did have a starter go two-thirds of an inning and have another guy come in for relief for Aiden the third, that is peak baseball being baseball. I love that. Um, yeah, so what I'm going to drink this time, I, I want to give a little lesson to the kids out there, uh, or should I say the kids that are 21, <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to actually learn about wine a little bit. Um, I have been so disappointed by our generation in terms of how they open wine. Um, the wine that they go about, out and about and get, uh, we're talking about the Franzia slap the bag. Um, you know, I go out and I find good deals on wine, but you got to get actual real wine. So what I'm going to do here is this. I have myself in a Mayan 2019 Malbec. This is great wine right here. Um, and uh, I'm going to tell you this. Tannins are really important. Tannins give it kind of more of a bitter taste at the end. Uh, and the other thing that I want to tell you about is with this particular wine bottle, I'm going to open it because I don't think a lot of people understand how to actually open 
you know, a bottle with a cork, right? I have seen so many people fail miserably and it's so simple and I don't understand why. So if you're looking at me right now, and for those that are just simply listening, it's not that difficult. Step one, you have your wine cork opener. You put it on the very top. You make sure it's centered. Okay, I'm not going to pour this wine out and show you where because I'm going to create a problem. But you center your cork, okay? Then you turn until you can't anymore, right? And in the process, hopefully you're not digging it so it's going to the side of the cork. Because if you do that, you are going to be very upset with the wine because you're going to have cork in your wine. And that's going to make your wine about the cork being in your wine. You don't want that. So you go slowly but surely until you see the prongs go all the way up. And when you see the cork actually have a little bit of a divot, that's when you slowly but surely on a nice surface, you just casually pull up, right? And it shouldn't take more than two attempts. I'm already more than halfway done by one circuit. I can go a little bit further and I'm doing this without barely even looking because I've done this enough now to where I don't have to worry about this. But my goodness, some people don't understand the simple doing and pulling out of a cork. And once you actually have it at the very bottom, just so you make sure that you have no cork in your wine, you get the little, little sliver out. Bam, that's how you do it. Malbec is what we're going to enjoy at this time. I'll tell you what it's like because this is actually the first time I've actually tried this. I'm going to use the rest of this later tonight. Uh, but cheers to you, Derek. What are you drinking? Cheers to you. Love the demonstration. Or you could just go buy a electric one. That is up to you. Okay. No. Uh, that, is no that, <laughs> that is lazy. That is lazy. I will not encourage that. Okay. So I have a, a Boulevard Brewing Company, which is Kansas City. This is a red rye, um, which I've never had before. I, I like red beers. I like amber ales. I don't really know if this is that. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Interesting. It kind of does have a little bit of the taste of a red beer, but there is some of that rye kind of wheat taste to it. It's 5.3% alcohol, uh, 25 IBUs. I don't know what this means, but it is David Rose's Brewer's Choice of 2021. David okay. Rose, maybe somebody who uh, knows things about beer. It's a good beer. I like it a lot. I give actually me, uh, give me a baseball like get this more often. Give me a baseball comp. Uh, well, it is certainly not the San Francisco Giants right now who have <laughs> lost seven straight games and are uh, – I don't know, drifting into ineptitude and, and sellership, but we'll get to that later. I don't know. Uh, good baseball comp. Uh, I would say the Jock Peterson signing, if I just want to stick with the Giants. Nice surprise. Like, you got it for – you got him for a one-year $6 million deal. You thought he'd just be like a fine platoon player, but he turned into an all-star. So, nice little surprise there. That's how I would say with this. I, I wasn't expecting much, but it's very, very good. For the first time having a Malbec from Amayan, uh, I'm actually very – pleasantly surprised this is a little fruitier than maybe most Malbecs are generally speaking the tannins really speak at the end um they do in this case but I didn't expect maybe as much of a fruit more of a raspberry kind of flavor here and so I guess when you look at a player this season maybe somebody that gave you more than you expected from them you could actually go with Jock Peterson just because that's off the top of my head there um but you know I'll, I'll be a little more creative here and how about a guy that has stepped up and really stepped up not only for his team, but in the fantasy scope of things. And we're going to talk here a little bit more about some of these guys, but specifically from the Cleveland Guardians, I'm really impressed by Andres Jimenez, the way that he stepped up this season. He's given more offensive power numbers than I think we saw. He's given us overall OPS that I think nobody saw coming from him. Uh, the defense is great from him, but uh, I don't think anybody saw him being – an all-star this upcoming season. And uh, this is what he's done. This is what the guardians do a lot of times. 
uh, this is going to be my Andres Amenez wine. Yeah, I like it. I uh, just got myself a uh, share of Andre Semenes in our fantasy league. So our season-long beer pong, the curse continues. Every time one of us hits one of them, and then you can't hit the other one. The sweep is impossible to get. Uh, also, every single time, it's been 1-1 one and one exactly, and not 0-2 oh as well. I hit Atlanta over Washington, but of all, I missed Houston trying to win a series over the Oakland A's. I don't understand. That said, we both have six cups left, so it is your turn to try to break the curse. Baseball will be baseball, and that one, just like the Dodgers losing a series at home to the Nationals, I mean, just some things can't be explained, and, and those are two series that just don't make sense. Um, you know, this was a tough weekend looking ahead because some matchups on paper, they looked like they were pretty favorable. An example of that would be uh, the Atlanta Braves um, going into their ser- series against the uh, Diamondbacks. I was kind of feeling that a little bit. Um, but then if you look at the starting pitchers, the way that they align, not maybe exactly how you want it to shape up. Uh, also, just anytime you have to face Sandy Alcantara is something that I don't want anything to do with, and that's the New York Mets this weekend. Um, so what I'm doing instead this week is I have a couple four-game series that I'm risking it on both AL East teams here. Uh, the New York Yankees taking on the Kansas City Royals. The Yankees have actually had a losing record in July. Um, they've been hearing this narrative probably more than they should. It's not that big of a deal. July is, you know, not over yet. And, uh, the Yankees are a far and away better team than the Royals. I'm expecting the Yankees to take the series there. As for the Toronto Blue Jays, they've been a pretty decently consistent team and a team that's been consistently bad has been the Tigers. Uh, I like the way the Blue Jays rotation lines up this weekend. So I'm going to take the Blue Jays over the Tigers as well. I like both of those, but like I said, we'll see if the curse continues. Okay, Uh, so on today's episode, we're going to do some uh, kind of more hidden gems. Basically, if you're in a deep fantasy league, uh, you know, 12 teams, maybe in some cases here, this might be for if you're 14, 15, 16, or or plus teams, or or maybe if you're in an AL, and only something like that. But at the bare minimum, you need to be in a 12-team league here. Uh, And it also needs to be daily. Uh, there are some leagues where it's weekly, where you set the, the lineup at the beginning of the week, and then you're just stuck with that lineup over the course of the week. If it's daily, you have more options to, like if, if I have someone who's really good uh, against lefties, I'm not going to start him in a weekly league if he's only playing two lefties. But if we're playing in daily and um, that specific day he's playing a lefty, then I can play him that specific day. So this is kind of formatted for that style of play but maybe can kind of help you find somebody who is a uh, hidden gem Uh, first of all I as we go through this like I wanted to try to find players who are rostered in less than 30 percent of leagues that it would be more indicative that they could be available in a deeper league any Rockies player when they're at home that's obviously it's not just like we talk about CJ Crone all the time go look at Brendan Rogers splits at home versus the road it's incredible Uh, like he's a great player to play at home you don't want to play him when he's on the road same thing with certain Cincinnati Reds, and it goes both ways as well with hitters and pitchers. You know, with certain guys like Tyler Malley, you don't want to always pitch him when he's play- pitching in Cincinnati, but uh, if he gets traded or when he's not pitching there, it's of interest. So I, I want to go through some guys who you might not think about owning, but in that daily league, you could say, well, you know what? I could pick this guy up, and he'll be kind of a bench you uh, reserve player for me. But on these specific days when he's playing this matchup, I can play him because he is putting up all-star numbers in that specific matchup. 
And the first one, I want to look at four against lefties, four against righties. The first is Harold Ramirez. He's rostered in just 23% of fantasy leagues on Yahoo, and he's currently on the injured list. So that obviously drives the number down from where it would be. But he is raking against lefties. He's sitting 366. He's got a 438 on base and a 465 or, uh, uh, slugging percentage, good for a 902 OPS. And here's what really gets me. He has eight walks to nine strikeouts when facing lefties, so he's clearly seen them very well. You look at his baseball savant page, he's mashing the baseball just in general. But just in terms of the splits against lefties, he's someone who could really take advantage of those matchups for you. Yeah, it's a little disappointing with the injury. Uh, I own a share of him as well in a keeper league. And while he probably is not a keeper, as Derek had mentioned there, um, the, the overall production, it was fairly obvious, I would say, even a month ago. Um, this guy just absolutely hits. I think that's just step one. Even with those matchups uh, aside, this guy can hit the ball no matter what way you put him. But as you alluded to right there, I mean, the 902 OPS – uh, with the uh, the righty situation too is I mean lefty righty situation is pretty unbelievable. Um, the fact that he hits for average, the fact that he gets on base at the peak that he does, it makes him a very valuable piece. Especially considering if you're in a standard Yahoo league, I mean this guy can be plugged in in multiple positions too. You know, it's it's super helpful that he can play first base, but also outfield. Um, that's what I was using him for, and. Uh, it was just really, really nice to have a guy that could actually get on base as frequently as he did. Um, his stretches in which he just got on base hitting in the two-hole, the three-hole, that, that is something that's incredibly valuable because not only is he getting on base, he's also getting at-bats, right? And on a Tampa Bay team that generally platoons a lot, um, he wasn't getting platooned, and that is super important. And the fact that he is owned right now in Yahoo Leagues by 23%, you know, if you have an open IL spot, it's not the worst idea in the world to go out and get him right now. He is going to be out for a little bit. Uh, there's technically no timetable set right now, but the hope is he comes back possibly in about three to four weeks. He does have a fractured right thumb. Um, and it's a bummer because this wasn't even caused by himself. It was a hit by pitch. So, you know, he was on a roll going into this. And uh, he, I still think that the numbers don't lie with this kind of guy. And uh, yeah, I, I really agree with this one a lot. I think he's a great piece to have. And, it's a bummer he's hurt right now because, you know, for a little bit there, he's one of the hotter hitters in all of baseball. Yeah, and definitely if you can get him when he comes back for those lefty matchups, could be good. How about this one? This is one that uh, is wild to me. Chaz McCormick, who I kind of thought of as like this speed outfielder, defense first guy coming into the year. But against lefties so far this season, he's got a 365 average, 444 on base, 619 slugging. That's good for an OPS over 1,000. He's actually fifth in the majors in OPS against lefties. And this is quite the list in front of him. Paul Goldschmidt, Austin Riley, Jose Altuve, and Wilson Contreras. So clearly he is mashing against lefties so far this season. I just I, I wish that you got more there from the, the speed perspective because he's like he's in the 84th percentile in sprint speed, 94th percentile in outfielder jump. Clearly he has athleticism. Clearly he has speed. He has just one steal. If the steals ever started coming for him, he would be a guy that I would want to jump on right away. Now, the overall game, you're going to look at it and say, oh, he's only hitting 229 with 316 OBP. But if you just use him in a daily league against those left-handers, I mean, that, the sky's kind of the limit there if he does start stealing bases. Yeah, you know, the Astros, where they bat him in the lineup, sometimes they'll put him at leadoff. And I think that that's also helpful because that'll allow runs to be scored, too, on top of that. Um, 
you, you mentioned the splits are pretty significant, but uh, even over the last month, I mean, you've seen that he's gotten on base rather frequently. He even had a little hitting streak going there um, against the Yankees. He kind of torched them in their doubleheader matchup. Uh, he had a home run in that. Um, you saw him in Seattle, he, outside of the game that he didn't start. I mean, he got on base a couple times there, and uh, he slugged against the A's in one of their matchups. But, I mean, yeah, he's not going to be a per, you know a premier player. There's a reason why in Yahoo Leagues he's only 2% owned, right? Um, but as you mentioned, in daily fantasy, this guy can definitely at least get on base at a decent peak. Uh, I think what's interesting is the slugging percentage as a whole, too. You know, a 425 slugging percentage for an everyday starter is not really what you're looking for. But for a guy that is 2% owned uh, and gets limited at-bats as well, he has 214 at-bats, that's actually not all that bad for what you're asking for there. Um, I I think it's intriguing. The ballpark, too. The ballpark kind of plays for him a little bit. You mentioned the stolen base. It is a little shocking. He only has one on the year. Uh, I think that kind of goes with the whole Houston Astros mantra of not really going out and stealing a ton of bases. Um, you have Kyle Tucker, obviously that can do that, but, um, even he hasn't really reached his full potential, I would say for stealing bases, like what we think he can do. So, um, I think that's part of the organization as well. Uh, but I will say, I mean, he's a great stream and, you know, it's not a huge risk to put him out there, especially when he's going to be a lower dollar amount. Yeah, if you see a week on there where maybe the Astros are playing six games out of the week and maybe three of them are against lefties, like that could be, like you said, a good little stream that you have there. Not someone you want to probably own long-term, but again, given the right matchup in a deeper league, could be useful in those matchups. This is one that I don't really know what to do about. Robbie Grossman has been just like not very good this season. He's hitting 202. He's got a 274 slugging. But when you dice it out to his splits – Against lefties, he's hitting 365 with a 478 on base and a 514 slugging, good for a 992 OPS. He can get you the occasional steal. He only has three this year, but those numbers are down because he's just hitting it at such a low rate. So I, I don't know because those numbers would say that you could use him in that matchup. But the problem is there are more righties than lefties, and he is hitting 138 against right-handed pitchers this year. So there becomes a certain point where it's like, okay, this guy's great against lefties, but if you're this bad against righties, at some point does he just start losing all the playing time together, especially with like, I know Akil Badu has really struggled ever since he's been brought back up, but you have another guy coming up that can maybe take away playing time. So I go kind of back and forth on what to do here. Yeah, I'm not a huge Robbie Grossman supporter per se. And, and when you look at the overall numbers, this is the one thing that's killer about splits is you, you had mentioned it. I mean, you know, he's going to face uh, righties a lot more consistently, right? And so, you know, over the last four, like two weeks, he's hitting 190 overall. Uh, his on-base percentage is kind of interesting. It's 370. So he's actually gotten on base a little bit, but uh, the slugging percentage of 286 just as a whole, it, it's hard to say um, – where the production is this year as far as last year, what what, what changed for him. Um, but the fact that he hasn't even hit a home run in a month, that is tough for me because, yeah, that OPS is uh, really appealing in the splits, but I do need to see more of a full body of work. Like with Chaz McCormick, the difference between Chaz McCormick and Robbie Grossman, there's two big ones for me. Number one is you see Chaz McCormick hitting in the top of the lineup for one of the better lineups in the league, right? And number two, that slugging percentage at 425 overall, that at least indicates to me that no matter which side of the plate he's on or facing, it's 
still going to be at least semi-effective. As far as the 269 peak slugging that Grossman's posted over the last month, that's telling me, as you kind of alluded to right there, the overall production is just really poor. And I know that we like to look back on past seasons, and obviously he was a breakout last year. But, you know, that doesn't indicate a whole heck of a lot to me when it's, you know, what are you doing for me lately uh, in fantasy, daily fantasy especially. Um, He's also in a terrible lineup. So that doesn't help him much either. He's not seeing good pitches. Um, He's just not slugging. The only thing he might be able to do is right now, according to the overall numbers, is getting on base. So I'm not going to buy the splits as much with him. The last one, and this is just a guy that I'm starting to get interested to own just in general overall, but it's Cal Raleigh, who has taken over the catcher position for the Seattle Mariners so far. And he's got a lot of power to his game. But against lefties, he's shown a high average as well. 306 average, 410 on base, 612 slugging. He's got an OPS over 1,000 against lefties. Again, he might just be a good overall catcher to have. If you're in a two-catcher league, he's probably already owned in your league. But if it's a one-catcher league and he's not, definitely somebody I would be interested in. Um, Like I said, he hits the baseball really hard. He just doesn't always make contact. But against lefties, he has. So if you're in a deep league where it's just one catcher but a lot of the teams own two catchers, this would be somebody I would try to acquire via trade or picking him up off the waiver wire, however he's available. Because if you have the two catchers for the one spot, if he's facing a lefty, you use him. If he's facing a righty, you use the other guy. It's like we're watching Mike Zanino 2.0 almost is kind of how it feels. You know, like it's kind of crazy because this guy does have absolutely ridiculously raw pop. But the other thing, he is super young. It's not like he, you know, shockingly just came on the scene after a long career. No, he's actually one of the more valuable pieces within the Mariners organization. Um, If you look at trade value, anything along those lines, I mean, I don't expect him to trade him. Right. Uh, But the overall power is very intriguing with him. I think that he's got 30-plus home run pop. I really do in that bat. Um, the average is interesting because, you know, as of right now, overall, it's a 211. But you look at those splits as a stream. I mean, if he's starting, he's getting put in the heart of that lineup sometimes. That five-hole in, in a really pretty solid Mariners lineup, there's going to be RBI opportunities there. And, you know, on top of that, the pop is real. Uh, He goes two for four against the Rangers in his most recent start with a home run, two RBIs. It's not like that's a shock. He's had multi-hit games now, three of them it looks like in the last week and a half. I mean, that's that's something that you don't just sit back and kind of snooze past. I've kept my eye on him as well. Um, You know, for an overall player, 15% owned right now in Yahoo Leagues, if you're really struggling at the catcher position – He's a really pretty solid investment, actually. So I totally agree. I'm, I'm actually very far in on him to the point where I kind of want to pick him up in our current league right now. Well, you could. Uh, catcher is certainly a position where, I mean, there have been a few guys who stand, who've stood out. Like Wilson Contreras has been great, and there's some other guys. But, you know, outside of the list of maybe the first handful, seven, eight guys, it's, it's kind of a, an empty – Empty desert, so Cal Raleigh certainly wanted to keep an eye on, especially when he's playing lefties. Okay, how about the guys versus the righties? And this, this one is almost a little more interesting to me because, like I said, there, there are more righties than there are lefties that you're going to be facing. So you're going to get more bang for your buck out of these guys. How about Daniel Vogelbach, who got traded to the New York Mets? He's rostered in just 4% of leagues on Yahoo against right-handed pitchers. He's hitting 260 with a 365 OBP. 
Uh, we obviously know he can smash the baseball, hitting 525 or, or slugging his 525 5. Good for an 891 OPS. Now, being on the Mets, it's not even that Vogelback is going to play every day, I don't think, against righties. But when he does, he's certainly one that you have him in the lineup. I mean, that's, that's like Kyle Schwarber on a hot streak numbers. Yeah, I feel like uh, Daniel Vogelbach was the equivalent of the 2008 Phillies Matt Stairs. You know, that's kind of the addition mm-hmm. that you had right there. He, he plays that same role of probably more so coming off the bench. So, you know, when you play daily fantasy, I think there's a little more value here as far as, you know, fantasy baseball leagues, probably a lot less value, which is why you see such a small share uh, of numbers of him being owned, right? Um, but yeah, those numbers are real, and we've seen power from him from time to time, not just this season as well. So you know it's there. Um, you just look at the guy. It's like Rowdy Telez uh, once again with even like bigger cheeks. Um, I, I I can't really explain why. Which cheeks are you referring to? You know, probably both, to be honest. Um, uh, if I drink enough wine today, it's probably going to be seeing both. But uh, yeah, he uh, he's got some major pop. The pop is real. I will say that the ballpark. Probably not as easy to hit in, um, and in a division where it's also harder to hit in. So that doesn't help him. Um, you had kind of already mentioned it, but he may not even start against righties every game, too. I have a gut feeling the Mets aren't done. In fact, they're just getting started before the trade deadline. So, you know, a good fit for them, there's quite a few of them. I, I was saying if the Rockies are smart and they actually part with C.J. Crone, I think the Mets would be a great fit. Uh, to kind of pair him at DH with Pete Alonzo. I mean, that's scary as heck in the middle of the lineup. So I don't know if Vogelbach's really going to get the chance per se, but if he is starting and, you know, it's clear that he's hitting in the heart of the order or close to that, he's going to have RBI opportunities. I think it's worth it as a stream for daily fantasy, but I probably am not touching him for actual fantasy leagues. Yeah, I think the the one league I need, It'd have to be like an NL only where it's very deep, and then you can use him in the, in the daily part there. How about Luis Gonzalez for the San Francisco Giants uh, against righties? And he's rostered just 6% of uh, Yahoo leagues. He's hitting 322 with a 382 on base, 486 slugging. He's got an 868 OPS against righties. I'm a little bit worried that, uh, and who knows, the Giants are tanking, so I, I don't know how much of buyers they should be. Again, we'll get to that coming up in our shotgun six pack. But um, if the Giants do buy like defensive help, because they have been like the worst defensive team in the majors, and Luis Gonzalez is a big part of that, like he's a very bad defender, that could definitely hurt him because he'll be playing less in that situation. But he just continues to hit righties at a high rate. Like I, I'm, I don't know, maybe he is someone that that should be owned a little bit more. I, I really like this guy, and I actually think, and without giving away our shotgun six pack. Um, you know, you may see a name like Jock Peterson get traded, right? That could probably clear up. Yeah, it could go the other way as well. They yeah. could sell and then more playing time. Yeah, so I, I honestly am thinking it's more likely that that's the direction things are going to go. So, you know, if you're listening right now, now might be the time to actually go out and get this guy because he was actually raking before he got injured, right? right. And, um, you know, I, I kind of believe it's for real. Um, the fact that he's putting up these numbers, even in the splits – Without the splits, doesn't really matter too much to me. He's, he's a guy that can hit for average. He can get on base. Um, and I think he's kind of a sneaky player that just hasn't had a real chance to spread his wings and have a real opportunity. I'm, I'm wait and see on the deadline there. But if he does have that opportunity still there, like I said, okay, I'm interested in it for that specific value in a deeper league. 
for just the, the games against righties. David Peralta is rostered in just 5% of leagues, 267 average, 323 on base, 500 slugging, good for an 823 OPS. He's probably going to get traded from the Diamondbacks. So, again, it's kind of a wait and see. But the way that he's hitting against righties, if he gets traded to a team where he has an even better chance to drive in runs but is going to play less because they won't have to play him as much against lefties, I mean, who really cares? Because if he's just playing more as a righty specialist with a better lineup around him, he's one that I'm kind of piqued in terms of interest by. Yeah, he's he's an interesting one. I really am going to have to see how this week – he's one of those players, I think, for me, where it's going to be very dependent on where he lands. Um, Let's say the New York Yankees take a swing at him. As intriguing as that ballpark is, also the opportunities are going to be limited. And especially if they say go out and get him, but also Andrew Benatendi, then I'm actually completely out on him, right? But, uh, you know, if the Philadelphia Phillies go after him and, you know, Bryce Harper's still hurt right now, um, you know, at the very least, he's probably a pretty amazing stream in that ballpark. So it is going to be completely dependent for me on where he lands. I'm just assuming he's gone. And so cancel him from the uh, Diamondbacks lineup, that's probably a positive for him, right? Uh, But the only negative is where does that playtime land? And uh, so I'm more of a wait and see here. Yeah, I am too. But I think of the the guys we've mentioned against righties, he's probably the one that I'm most interested by. How about Joey Wendell, uh, former Tampa Bay Ray with the Miami Marlins? He's had to deal with some injuries. The bats haven't really been there overall in the season, just 160 of them. He's rostered in just 19% of the leagues, but – He's just kind of been low-key, like, good overall. 300 average, 347 OBP, 406 uh, slugging for him. But he's on fire. 405 the last two weeks, 435 average the last seven days. And it's, it's kind of those numbers against righties. He's hitting 307 with 347, 416 slash run line the rest of the way through. He plays a bunch of positions, so you're going to get a bunch of positional flexibility. That's part of this as well. If you're picking someone up to be kind of a backup, a bench guy for you, who you're just going to use in specific matchups, it really helps if they can play multiple positions where you can be like, okay, uh, I can play him here, 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 based on that other guy that he's going to fill in for having a good or bad matchup. It just increases the chances of being able to use him against that matchup. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on this one. But the Marlins lineup overall really stinks, so it's like it's hard to get run production. If you're a fantasy owner of Jazz Chisholm, um, it wouldn't shock me if you own this guy. Just because Chisholm obviously out for an extended period of time here. Uh, Really sad news there with him. But uh, I think out of the list of names that we've listed here, uh, just for overall fantasy, I would say between Cal, Raleigh, and this kid, uh, good old Joey Wendell, who has been ownable in the past, I think those are the two probably most ownable for actually long-term fantasy leagues, right? Uh, I think I'm less likely to play Joey Wendell in like a daily fantasy because I think the overall production, it's more like the ceiling is not so high. It's more of a higher floor, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, the, the, the high game for him is a consistent two for four. Exactly. And so I think from a regular fantasy league standpoint, he actually has more value there, especially as you had hinted. It's the positional and the depth overall that that'll, he offers there. The fact he can play second, third, outfield, like that's a huge, huge victory for you as a fantasy owner. Shortstop, I believe, too, actually. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really like this a lot. And I think uh, if you're in daily, you probably skip over him just because 
Those numbers are good, but they're not enough for you to probably win your daily fantasy matchup when you basically have to go all or nothing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. Okay, let's get on to our shock then six-pack. Trade deadline edition. It happens on Tuesday. I don't know why, just not on like Sunday or something. That would make more sense. But it's happening on Tuesday, so that'll actually be perfect because by the time we talk to you next week, we'll be able to kind of react to whatever happens. If Juan Soto gets traded – actually, I'll make this a two-part. Does Juan Soto get traded, and if so, where? God, that's so hard because the Nationals really shouldn't trade him, but uh, I, it seems to me like Juan Soto wants out. Uh, so I will say yes uh, as much as I don't think they should. I think it's going to be a yes – I want him to go to the Mariners. I think that's the best fit, actually. Can you imagine Soto and Julio in the same lineup? J-Rod and so Jay fun. Soto. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that would be – And two, like, ultra-lovable guys, too. Yeah. I mean, bring back the Alex Rodriguez-Ken Griffey Jr. era, like, in the modern times. If you're the Mariners, why are you not making this move? I, I don't know. I want to say the Mariners. I don't think they're going to do it, though. We're been here, we've been hearing reports about the Cardinals. I'm not totally buying that. I will probably say the most likely destination. It's totally not clever, but the New York Yankees. I, I think there will be too much of a blowback for the Yankees if they go out and trade for him in the idea that, okay, so now you're not going to pay Aaron Judge. You're going out and get this guy. But it, they have all the financial resources and prospect resources to get him. I actually am kind of buying the Cardinals stuff. I feel like they have shown an affinity to figuring out trades for stars in the past. Now, I do believe if the Yankees or the Dodgers like really want Soto, I think they can outbid the Cardinals, but at some point maybe they stop the bidding. And I think the Cardinals are going to be worth or willing to go there. You know, they'll offer Nolan Gorman and maybe they'll give up Dylan Carlson and then they'll give up Matthew Liber Liberatore and Jordan Walker, whoever, and just offer some mega deal and come up with Juan Soto. I could see that happen similar to how we saw them get Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. So that's who I'm going with. But if I, I couldn't go with them, I'd go with the Dodgers. I am leaning, though, that he does get traded. Number two, what team most needs Wilson Contreras? Oof. Um, you could make the argument that the San Diego Padres, uh, who also could be in on Juan Soto as well. Um, you know, Austin Nola was an acquisition for them, and he's been playing or hitting very average for that lineup that really kind of needs another spark in the heart of it, especially since Tatis isn't back. I'll say the Padres. I think Alfaro has been fine. I do agree. That would be a huge upgrade from then. But I just – because Alfaro has been at least like fine-ish, I think I would go for the New York Mets. And who knows? They might end up getting it because I think they're going to be aggressive at the deadline That's a here. good one. I like that. They have Francisco Alvarez waiting in the wings in, in the prospect ranks. But by all accounts and stuff, they, they seem to be talking that they don't think he's ready from a fielding perspective, from a – you know, uh, kind of managing a pitching staff. So I don't think they're going to call him up and want to call him up just yet. Go out and get Wilson Contreras. And worst case, if you – well, I guess best case, if you call up Alvarez, you can use him as a DH. Number three, would you rather have Andrew Benintendi or Josh Bell if you were trading for a hitter as a contender? Oh, God. I mean, as a hitter purposes, Josh Bell. Uh, Benintendi probably gives you more of the defensive side too, and he gets on base a lot more. Uh, but Josh Bell, I think, is more of a game-changing bat in the middle of the lineup. And the, the way that he's been getting on, I mean, he's getting on almost at the same peak as Ben Attendee with more pop. So I'm going to take Bell. It's close for me because of the defensive part of it with Ben Attendee where you can really play him at any of the three outfield spots. He's hitting like 320 right now. I think the fact that Josh Bell is a switch hitter, so you don't have to worry about any platoons. 
And like you said, there's just more power, more impact there. I would go Josh Bell as well. Sip, chug, dump. Luis Castillo, Tyler Malley, Frankie Montas, three pitchers who could be on the move. Uh, I'll sip Frankie Montas, I'll chug Luis Castillo, and I'll dump Tyler Molly. Even though Molly will be the least expensive, uh, I think he also makes the least amount of impact by a mile out of those three. By a Molly? Um, Molly, <laughs> by a Molly. <laughs> stretch it. Uh, if Frankie Montas didn't just have the injury where he's dealing with the shoulder stuff and he had the, the like cortisone injection or whatever, I would actually chug him. I'm a huge Frankie Montas guy. You get him away from Oakland where he's just losing every game. But because he had that, I'll chug Luis Castillo. I agree on the rest of that with you. I'm going to uh, dump out Tyler Malley, though he has been a little bit better outside of Cincinnati. So, like, honestly, I would be buying into all three of these guys if they get traded. But if you have to pick between the three, that would be the order. Number five, we kind of alluded to this earlier. What will the Giants do at the deadline? They should trade Jock Peterson and Carlos Rodon. I think after Rodon kicked the bat, um, <laughs> maybe that was literally the actual visual the Giants fans needed of we're kicking the season too. And uh, I'm going to say that they should and will trade both Rodon and Jock Peterson. There's going to be a lot of suitors for Peterson and obviously plenty for Rodon too if he's available. Um, so, yeah, I think that's exactly what they should do. I agree that's what they should do, and they can get a haul for those guys, haul and a half for Rodon. I'm worried that they won't. I mean, you see the Dodgers series right out of the break. They need to play well to show that they should buy. They lose all four. They have a big meeting, close the doors, um, and they talk about how, okay, this is the moment, and what do they do to respond from that meeting? They lose three and get swept by the Diamondbacks. Clearly, this team's not ready. So I, I hope they sell, but I have this odd suspicion that they're going to do like a one of those weird like standoffs. Like they'll sell Jock Peterson and then they'll acquire some like low end relief arm and some low end defensive player where they get more prospects than they lose, but it's like not really selling and, and actually making an impact there. Last one, favorite fit for a possible trade deadline candidate and team at the deadline. Yeah, um, if you know, I mentioned CJ Crone uh, being traded. I think that he, if you put Crone and Alonzo in the same lineup, holy cow, that's scary. Uh, that's one. And then I'll throw another one out just because of Josh Bell. Uh, we were talking about him earlier. If you put Josh Bell in the heart of the Mets lineup, that is even scarier, I think, because he's a switch hitter. So I'll, I'll say that one. All right, let's get another hitter to uh, a team that needs it. How about? Well, I don't know if they need it, but a team that could use another hitter. Um, they don't have as much depth in the lineup as the past couple of years. Let's get J.D. Martinez back to the bo or to the uh, Houston Astros. I don't even know if that works positionally because Jordan's dh most of the time. Yeah. But I just, I just want to see it happen. Hey, Crone to the Astros is also a good mm. one. I like Yeah, that. that probably makes more sense positionally. I like, that. like I said, I don't think Martinez fits in terms of what they want to do, but it'd be cool to see him back with him. Uh, okay, he is Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. That's this episode of Booze and Baseball. We'll see you next week.